Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the PJC Uncovered Podcast. Uh, I'm Rob May, uh, one of the hosts of the podcast. Matt Hayes is not here today, so I have invited my other partner, David Martorano. Uh Hi, everybody. David Martorano. And uh, our guest today is, um, this series is all about Corp Dev, and we have the Vice President of Corporate Development Strategy at IBM, uh, Lee Price. So, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob and David. appreciate the opportunity to share my views and maybe even give you a peek inside uh, IBM, which is can be mysterious to some people from the outside. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a big company. I know you guys have a large corporate development group. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of like, uh, tell us how, the, how, how Corp Dev generally works at IBM? Like what's the structure of the group? And then sort of what's your, your role and your background? How did you get into this? Yeah, so, so um, yeah, we do have a fairly sizable group in corporate development. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're a serial acquirer. So we've, we've uh, purchased, you know, north of 400 companies since Gerstner was here. It's hard to believe, but uh, I'm familiar with the rough metrics. Um, and, you know, you don't do that kind of volume of activity without a, uh, reasonably structured uh, operation. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, um, it's a, a sizable team. It focuses on transaction execution mostly. Um, but we also have a reasonably good-sized team focused around integration uh, because obviously uh, we, we – well, maybe it's not obvious, but we do do, generally speaking – uh, a full integration of the target enterprises into IBM. Uh, so we have a kind of a team that's that's uh, got quite a bit of experience on what to do, uh, what to do right, and what we've done wrong in the past because they don't all work uh, perfectly. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a good sized team. Um, you know, I'm, my background actually, I've spent. I'm currently. Uh, bridging the teams between corporate development and corporate strategy. And that's, that's my title, corporate development strategy. Um, uh, but my, but most of my background, which dates hard to believe almost 30 years, about 20 of those were spent in corporate development, uh, running acquisitions, running divestitures, uh, some level of venture capital. Um, and it's been actually a very, a very exciting and compelling ride, and I've enjoyed enjoyed every minute of it and continue to enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, quick, quick question for you. In addition to that, that's sort of follow on your comment about your four hundred plus acquisitions. You know, in the corporate dev group, do you guys, uh, you know, as, as IBM hunting, or are you sort of fielding inbound, or you or sort of come up with a thesis and go out and and sort of hunt for opportunities, or do you? Feel a lot of the inbound calls from from opportunities. How do you think about that? Well, you know, we certainly do get a lot of inbounds, um, and actually, uh, we recently moved that responsibility from directly reporting to me over to um, another part of corporate development. But we actually get—it's hard to believe—but we'll get maybe a thousand a year. Um, 
most of which are in areas that are frankly not of interest. Um, but I would say that the vast minority of deals we actually do are the result of inbounds. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we haven't been overly acquisitive in the last couple of years since we announced uh, and closed on Red Hat. Uh, we've done a handful of smaller deals. Um, uh, and I, I can't imagine any of those came as a result of inbounds. I would say in my entire history of transactions, which dates back to 98, so 22 years, maybe we've done five that came in as unsolicited. Um, very much more on the, the hunting side. Um, but I would say, you know, we've got, we have corporate development, but then in each of our business units, and we have a lot of business units, there are business development teams. Um, uh, so we have one within software, actually within a couple groups of software, got them in services, got them in hardware. Um, and much of the hunting, frankly, is done within the business units, not necessarily by corp dev per se. Now, that being said, I mean, among other things, corp dev has responsibility for our relationships with the investment banking community. Um, we have, and I personally have a lot of relationship with private equity firms as a result of deals that have been done, venture capitalists for companies we've acquired, et cetera. Um, those can occasionally be a source of deals. Um, but, but in IBM, really, corp dev is more focused on executing transactions than in hunting for deals. And that's just kind of our by design. Great. So would you say a lot of times when we're looking at opportunities to invest in and startups come to us and some of our own portfolio companies, so would the advice be to them if they think of IBM as a potential acquirer down the road that they should, you know, sort of get to know you for a couple of years before in your sort of business units? Do you recommend sort of that idea? Or how do we, what kind of advice should we give them around that uh, in terms of if they believe at some point down the road, IBM could be an acquirer of them? Uh, well, I definitely encourage a relationship, uh, you know, far in advance of even thinking acquisition. I mean, I think of it in a marriage analogy, um, I mean, it just to me makes sense, and my experiences are most successful deals are those that where we've had a pre-existing relationship. To me, it just makes sense to team together to understand each other better before you can be convinced that maybe this should be a permanent bond. Um, you know, there are times when we we've we've partnered with folks, and then we concluded, you know, this doesn't really, you know, um, you know, it's kind of a one-sided thing. Maybe it's better for them. Maybe it's better for us. But it has to be mutually beneficial. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I, you know, if, if a company, in their, as, a, as, a, as they grow, think about the time when they're going to logically maybe hit a wall and wanna, want to exit. Um, I think a, a cold relationship with an acquirer is a bad idea. I think they should be building relationships with many folks in the industry um, that they you know, might ultimately sell to. So I definitely encourage the relationship building. Um, I think, frankly, we should be doing, we IBM should be doing more to encourage that. And I think you will see that in the future. So Lee, you know, you mentioned that you guys have acquired over 400 companies since Lou Gerstner was the, was the CEO, which is a lot more than most of the corp dev groups we've talked to, obviously. Um, and I'm interested, what have you learned about some of the softer parts of acquiring these companies, like the cur cultural integration, 
how to retain employees. And and I'm really curious, you've been doing this for 22 years. The tech scene has changed a lot over 22 years. Has, has the integration piece changed? Has employee retainment changed as the culture of startups has, has changed? Has it affected your job? Uh, well, first of all, soft issues are hu- hugely important, hugely important. Um, uh, we've, you know, frankly, when if I rewind back to uh, when Lou joined back in the you know mid '90s, I mean, we had didn't really have a history of acquisitions, um, and one of the first large ones we did back then, if, for those that have you know many zeros at the end of their age might remember Lotus Development Corporation, uh, makers of one, two, three. That was kind of one of our first really big deals. Um, but then we got into the um, kind of a serial acquirer mode. I would say early on, um, we didn't appreciate the soft elements of it. I actually think, and I, I know this is pervasively appreciated at IBM now for years, the soft issues are, are really hugely important. Um, matter of fact, we, we take a particular focus on cult, what we call culture and change. Um, it's an, actually a discrete stream in our due diligence process, and it's, it's taken pretty seriously. And if you were to talk to some of the uh, leadership at some of our acquired companies, um, I think some of them are very surprised at how important that threat is to us. Uh, you know, recently, uh, in the last six months, there was a company we considered approaching. Um, we didn't actually approach them, but as we learned more about kind of how they run their business versus the complementary business at IBM, we just concluded, you know, this is a this is a cultural disaster. It's just not going to work. They have a different approach, and instead of trying to force fit the round peg into the square hole. Um, we just said, we'll, we'll look elsewhere. Um, and it, you know, that, that just happens. There are other times when, you know, we didn't fully appreciate some of the subtle cultural elements and we've actually scuttled deals that we had, you know, gone through a term sheet and gone into diligence and realized that, you know, it's not going to be good for anybody if you try to fit that round peg into the square hole. Now, that, that being said, I think, um, you know, IBM, you know, has, has survived, thrived, been challenged in a number of times during its, our lifetime. I think one thing that we are, and I think people will see that, you know, the, we, we are looking to change and improve our culture. I, I actually think Red Hat will prove to be, when it's written, history is written down the road, prove to be a seminal event in that. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, culture, other softer elements, hugely important. Um, you, you know, the excitement of the team to join IBM. Uh, we want them to be happy joining the IBM family. Not all companies want to join IBM. That's fine. You know, our job is to find the ones that, that, uh, have both a soft and a hard element to us that's compatible and try to execute on those. So hugely important. Um, as culture, you asked about as culture has changed over time. You know, I think um, I think the fact the shift we've had with our new CEO Arvind Krishna, who's our first uh, real technical, highly technical CEO. He's more than uh, an engineer; he's a great businessman and great strategic thinker. I think actually that that bodes well. He understands 
the culture of, of technology and technology um, companies and how that culture has changed over the last five to 10 years. And I think that that shift to, to a guy like Arvind will prove to also be when history is written, um, also reveal as kind of a seminal change in IBM's uh, trajectory. So, um, but we, again, to sum it up, I mean, we do, we, we, we take the softer elements as, as seriously, if not more seriously than the kind of base hard elements of business. Uh, Lee, I'm laughing because you mentioned uh, the acquisition of Lotus, and I was actually having dinner uh, with John Landry, who was the CTO of Lotus, I believe, during that transaction, which is kind of a small oh, thing. Right? <laughs> it's funny you just happened to mention that. I was literally with him last night, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, this is called the Uncovered Podcast, and so we try to uh, uncover some interesting stories. And so I don't know if there's a story you can publicly share with us about a deal dynamic that got really complicated or weird or a little bit different and, and and something that was sort of unique that you guys sort of did on the deal side that was sort of not your sort of standard that you could sort of maybe tell us a story that's sort of uncovered within within uh, within IBM or your background and your history. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I can't tell you if I, I could think of a transaction that would qualify as having a a weird quote weird component. Um, I will tell you though that you know, there have been transactions where, you know, first of all, I, th I think of M&A very much as a, a relationship business and uh, trust is an important part of an M&A deal. Um, and I have been in deals where trust has been kind of compromised. And I'll tell you, I will never forget those, um, you know, cases where people have said things that are clearly untrue. Um, one deal in particular we had, as I was, was uh, thinking about your question here, um, you know, we had a deal where we had signed, but we hadn't closed. There was a gap. And uh, the, own, the guy, the, the venture firm that owned the, had the majority ownership, pulled what I considered an extremely dishonest move. Um, and integrity, in my mind, in this business is everything. And, you know, we had already announced the deal. We weren't going to not do the deal. We closed it. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'll never forget that incident. And, you know, I, I'll avoid buying a company from them at any time. If I can, if I have any say in it, I'll, I'll probably not want to buy a company from them. But, but weird, um, you know, not, not really. And we've had cases where, uh, there were, um, uh, uh, it's like changes of leadership, uh, late in the, uh, deal process, I would consider that kind of bizarre. Um, uh, we've had other cases. We had a case I remember where a company had an, an operation in China. Um, this was years. This was probably seven, eight years ago, so not recent times. Where you run into bizarre things like you know potential bribery or other stuff. We ended up having to force the company to basically close down their Chinese operation. I mean, those are kind of weird things, but nothing like that really freaked me out. Uh, I guess it's like an airplane pilot. I, I, I'm a friend of several pilots. I always ask me, have you ever been in a really dangerous situation, 35 years at Delta or whatever? And they say, no, not really. So <laughs> I'm sorry if that's boring, but. Uh, no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's good advice about, you know, in terms of, 
you know, you know, being honesty and, and it, it sticks with you. You need to really be honest and upfront. And like you said, it's a partnership. It's like a marriage. You know, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's interesting. The one having been in this business for a while, you, you run, you do run into the same people frequently in my experience. And you, you kind of build a, a network of folks that you trust and you say, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to another company. Tell me what you think of them. Or I know, you know, this person, um, I mean, a lot of how M&A gets done is relationships. And if you have a great reputation or an honest one and high integrity, I think that helps. The converse also applies. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. I think that's that's definitely super important. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the things that – so outside of the weird things that happen, um, what are some just common things that startups do wrong that cause deals to fall apart? Uh, and then. You know, when I sold my first company, one of my VCs, we we had some struggles when we got into diligence. And one of my VCs said, you know, Rob, if if two sophisticated parties really want to get a deal done, uh, there are almost always mechanisms to bridge that. So, so I'm curious, what are some of the common things that cause deals to fall apart? And then do you, do you sort of believe that statement that if both parties want to get a deal done, you can find a way? Well, I definitely agree with that statement. Um, that... Once once you get to a, a general alignment of this makes a lot of sense, I think two sophisticated parties that have um, deal experience, and that's one reason actually I, I honestly believe that uh, having a kind of a core team that builds up years of deal experience uh, is valuable because there's many times where you might appear to be at impact at an impasse with another, with the other party and you rely upon or draw upon your experiences on something that's maybe not identical, but similar. Um, and you can weave your way through that. Um, and, and listening, it's, it's interesting. I've been in transactions where, you know, the, you have the legal people, and then you have the business people. And of course the legal people are focused on zero risk on both sides. Um, and that's just not life, unfortunately. Um, right. You'll never get a deal done if that's your goal. <laughs> yeah, you'll never get a deal done. Um, I find just sitting down with the principal on the other side and say, what's your problem? What's your beef? Um, what are you worried about? And I've, I've had people say, well, I'm worried that you're going to do this. And, you know, I'll say, well, listen, I'm not going to do that. And let me tell you why I'm not going to do that. And you got to trust me. I'm not going to screw you. Uh, and I have I said, if you want to find out other people. Um, on, on my integrity, you, you, I'll give you 10 names to call. You got to trust me. And, and that, that building of that trust is important because it's going to go in both directions during the deal. But I, I firmly believe that in most cases, probably 99% of the cases, if there's common alignment on this deal should get done, you can get to a deal. Um, in terms of why deals fall apart, let me let me answer a related question, and then I can give you some examples of you know kind of the stages where things do fall apart. Um, you know, I, I think an important thing that I consider when I look at a, at a company is what I would call good business hygiene. Um, you know, in my mind, nothing builds. This is for your entrepreneurs that are looking. Uh, maybe someday they will sell sell to a strategic. You know, nothing, in my opinion, builds confidence better from a buyer perspective than good business hygiene. Do they have, you know, kind of a disciplined development process? Do they communicate? Do they appear to be get along well? Do they all 
like each other? Do they have discipline around the sales process? Do they seem to understand what, you know, how they address client needs? Um, you know, is the management team, you know, strong, competent, and accomplished? Is is the culture one of openness? I mean, it's it's kind of basic blocking and tackling, but for smaller companies, you would be surprised at how many kind of components of business hygiene are missing. Um, I actually think there's a market for uh, entrepreneurs to say, hey, get a consultant to come in and say, you know, hey, look at our business hygiene. If you were a buyer, um, what would you uh, be worried about um, and, and make sure that I have in place? Do I have, you know, reasonable controls around things, around financial policies, all this stuff? I think business hygiene is is probably, in my mind, kind of 1A. Um now, in terms of, you know, where, uh, you know, what are the things that make deals fall apart? You know, I think I think of, I think of it as I was as I was thinking about your question here in the last minute. There's there's a few stages. I think the first stage is you just don't really have fundamental alignment of vision. Um, I think that alignment is very important. Um, and in many cases, when you're buying a company, you know, you're really buying, among other things, among the most important things, you're buying the team uh, and the brains of the team. Um, it's a very human capital world these days. That alignment of vision is very important. If, if you don't have a common vision of the problem and the past to solve it, you know, that's, that's a problem. Everything else will be, be an attempt to patch it together. I mean, at this stage, it's not even a deal. It's more of a, a partnering and, and creating value. But let's say you have that alignment. Then you start saying, okay, maybe we should, should talk about an acquisition. Um, then, then, of course, you get down to the, the, the second stage, which is the term sheet stage. You know, the biggest reason that those fall apart is just fundamentally different views of value. Um, we try to be creative with structures to, to bridge those gaps. Um, but sometimes the gap is too great, especially in today's world with valuations at a level that uh, it's that are, uh, uh, you know, I would say, relatively high versus historical standards. Uh, maybe the seller's got inflated expectations for it, or this happens all the time. Maybe it's a competitive process and there's three bidders and uh, et cetera. But just, you know, we try to go in with a principled approach. We try to pay fair value. We're not trying to rip anybody off. We're trying to pay fair value. Avoid, you know, deal heat, but sometimes you just can't get over that hurdle. Um, thirdly, let's say you get over that hurdle. Yeah, we're, we're, it seems like a reasonable deal. Then you get into due diligence. We've definitely walked away in due diligence. You know, sometimes we found that the business performance was what we, not what we thought or how they calculated certain things like renewal rates really made it seem like they were a lot better than they actually were. Or maybe the technology. I remember one thing I looked at. We did. We went to due diligence, and I saw. And I'm not a technical czar by any stretch, but I looked at the product. and I said, I must have. I said, Is that it? That's the product. Um, and you know, so maybe the technology is not as impressive. Um, the other thing I've definitely seen is sometimes you know a business is an aggregation of a number of acquisitions that you know kind of a dog's breakfast of products and offerings that, you know, 
maybe haven't been integrated, and it felt like we were going to buy kind of someone else's mess. So it certainly happens at the due diligence phase. I think once you get through all that, yeah, deals do fall apart at the definitive agreement stage um, for whatever reasons. Maybe there's, you know, some litigation that we just get can't get comfortable with that's happened on a deal, I remember. Um, but like I said earlier, I am a believer if, if both sides are good listeners and have deal experience to draw on to allay fears of the other party, I think you can get mostly past it. I think once diligence comes through cleanly, it's, in my opinion, it's a rare deal that doesn't survive the, the, the definitive agreement stage. Um and trust is a part of that whole process. So that's what I would say in terms of why deals have fallen apart. Well, Lee, that's very good advice, I think, for people that are going to sell their company. Having been through it myself, um, I think a lot of it makes sense as well. Um, so we're about at time. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up. For those of you that are listening, thanks for listening to the PJC Uncovered podcast. Um, if you have guests you'd like us to have on the podcast, if there's questions you'd like us to ask in the future, you can send those to podcast at pjc.vc. Uh, this has been an episode of season two. We hope you'll go back and listen to the entire season. Uh, Lee Price from IBM, thanks for being on. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcast at pjc.vc.